with your permission, and if you think I shouldn't do this, you can everybody can shout no at the same time. Um, Julie and I uh, got back a couple of weeks ago from a work and witness trip to Dominican Republic. And it, it was not sponsored by our church. It was sponsored by the Loveland Church of the Nazarene. In fact, there were 16 of us that went, correct, Julie? And, and uh, three were from Emmaus Road, uh, the Nazarene Church in Fort Collins. Two of us from Longmont and the rest were, were from the Loveland Nazarene Church. Am I doing okay so far? It's okay to talk about this. Um, We went to Santo Domingo, which is the capital of the Dominican Republic. And by the way, it was not impacted uh, by the hurricane. It was the north side of the island that was directly impacted by that. We really didn't see any kind of destruction where we were. It was on the other side of the island. But um, our primary task there was to... um, they're remodeling, let's say. They have a seminary there. It's beautiful. The grounds are beautiful. I think they have 13 acres. But the, the structures on it are quite old, and they're trying to, uh, let's say, refit um, that facility for the purpose of what they call missionary formation. They want it to be a, 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 a missionary training center. And the goal is then to bring people from the Mesoamerica region, which is Mexico, Central America, and the Caribbean islands, to Santo Domingo, to the seminary there, to train them to be missionaries, to go back to the cities in the Mesoamerica region to be missionaries. And they want to train Mesoamericans, people who live in Mexico, the Caribbean islands, and Central America to do this. Because what that does is it eliminates one big training step in the process, and that is the step of language. They don't have to train these people to speak Spanish. They already speak Spanish, unless you're from Haiti, and then you speak Haitian Creole. But nevertheless, the predominant language in those areas is Spanish. They don't have to train them to speak Spanish. And for the most part, they don't have to make these cultural adaptations that we as North Americans would have to make if we went to those parts of the world. So they're refitting the seminary and the buildings there to accommodate these people who will come in to be trained as missionaries to go back to their part of the world and share Jesus Christ in the cities, which happens to be the places where people are still, there's a great influx into the cities. And so that's what it was about. And so we spent, uh, the ladies did some painting and sanding and the guys, um, everything they do down there is made with um, concrete block and, and uh, rebar reinforced cement. So it's not like knocking out a wall in your house, let me tell you. I mean, I was on the business end of a 12-pound sledge some of the time and I had the aches and pains afterwards to prove it, but uh, we were knocking down walls and um, hauling out rubble so that they could uh, remodel these places to accommodate those folks that will be coming in. So that's what we were about, and I just wanted to let you know this morning because we really hadn't said anything to you about that. And on to the book of Mark. Now, um, I love what Jesus does here. And I'm just going to touch on this a minute because I'm probably not going to preach on what you think I might preach on. I think generally when people preach on this, it's all about the paralytic himself and what Jesus did and said and 
That's really not what I'm going to touch on, but what I like what Jesus did here. So I said, your sins are forgiven. And the guy said, well, you can't do that. Well, okay. Get up and take your mat and walk. Now, who can forgive sins? Who can heal a paralytic? Do you get it, guys? Which is easier? I can do both. I love what Jesus did there. But, uh, Dean, thanks for laying a little groundwork, and I'm going to cover some of that same ground here. Um, Our text tells us that Jesus had come home to Capernaum. Capernaum, or I don't know how they would pronounce it there. Uh, Capernaum was a town located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, and, and accordingly, the primary occupation of its residents was fishing. It was also home to brothers Simon and Andrew, and had now become Jesus' base of ministry in northern Israel. In all likelihood, when Jesus was in Capernaum, he stayed at the home of Peter, Simon Peter. So, that's probably why, because we think, well, wait, Jesus was from Nazareth, but it says he'd come home to Capernaum. Well, that's probably why it says that, because when he, Capernaum was kind of home at times for him, and he stayed at, at Peter's house when he was there. So he had come home to Capernaum from these places where he'd had to go because of the notoriety he'd gained because of the miracles he'd done. So he kind of had to try and hide out at times or didn't do any good because people followed him even into those lonely places. And he was ministering in some of the other towns in the vicinity so that when they see, say he had come home, he'd returned to Capernaum from some of this other ministry that he was, he was doing. And it was a place that, in fact, Jesus had performed many of his miracles, as recounted in chapter 1, if you want to take time after service today to read chapter 1, where it tells about the, the miracles that Jesus had done in this very place. And as a result, when Jesus came home, this great crowd gathered. They not only filled the house that he was preaching in, but they overflowed into this narrow street and probably blocked it. Because the streets were really narrow there. So they, they, flowed in, they filled the house, they flowed into the street, and um, there was no room. It was a capacity crowd, an overflow crowd. A big crowd. Did you know that there's a branch of psychology that deals specifically with the study of crowds? There is. Um, now, they don't have a, some sort of unpronounceable name for it. It would be called crowd or mob psychology. Um, this field relates to the behaviors and thought processes of both the individual crowd members and then the crowd as a whole or as an, en- an entity. And they classify crowds two two ways. Active crowds are called mobs. Or passive crowds, which are called audiences. Not everyone in a crowd sees or responds to what's happening in the same way. We process things through our own filters. Well, that's what I want to look at today is some of the dynamics in this crowd. I see three subgroups that were part of the crowd that had gathered that day in this place in Capernaum. And we begin with this. A curious crowd stands by and watches. Do you think there were some curious people there that day? 
See, those folks were there for the spectacle. Again, Mark chapter 1 tells us of the miracles that Jesus had done to this point. So, folks showed up to see what kind of crowd-pleasing thing Jesus would do next. Like, ah, did you see that? Bottom line, they were spectators. An audience hoping to be entertained. They weren't there with the intent of hindering Jesus' ministry, but had come thinking that they might be witness to some new magic trick. They were, white, they were what we might call the watchers in the crowd. They were just there to watch. Chuck Swindoll told this story in his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity. He said, once a spider built a beautiful web in an old house, He kept it clean and shiny so that flies would patronize it. The minute he got a customer, he would clean up on him so that other flies would not get suspicious. In other words, he didn't leave any fly parts in the web. Then one day, this fairly intelligent fly came buzzing by the clean spider web. The old spider called him over, come on in and sit for a spell. But the fairly intelligent fly said, no sir, I don't see other flies in your house and I'm not going in alone. But a short time later, the fly saw on the floor below a large crowd of flies on a piece of brown paper. He was delighted. If lots of other flies were doing it, he would not be afraid at all. So he came in for a landing. Just before he landed, a bee zoomed by saying, Don't land there, stupid. That's fly paper. But the fairly intelligent fly shouted back, Don't be silly. There's a big crowd down there. Everybody's doing it. That many flies can't be wrong. Ever heard those lines before? Well, you know what happened. He got caught on the paper. He was a dead fly. And he goes on to say, there were lots of fairly intelligent people who came to Peter's house that day, but all they came for was to be part of the crowd. They just came to watch. They were more interested in the social aspect. Hey, there's a big event going on down at Peter's house. Let's go see what's happening. So they're watchers. Now, as people of God and disciples of Jesus, we do have to attract a crowd. And if we're not attracting a crowd, then we need to be asking what we can do to attract a crowd. Amen? We should be attracting new people into the kingdom. So we have to ask the question, what does it take to gather a crowd in this place? How do we attract more watchers? Because really that's where people start, isn't it? They start as watchers. They just kind of come to see what's going on here. So we need to reach out to the community and attract a crowd. And then as that crowd becomes a part of the people of God, they change from being a watcher to being a And this is kind of later in the sermon, and I'll come back to this. They'll come from being a watcher to being a bringer. And I'll tell you what a bringer's about after a while. Because you see, Jesus is a crowd changer. And our mission is to get people to come watch. 
Our prayer is that will that our prayer is that Jesus will change them into bringers. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we carry the news, as it were, out of Peter's house, out of Capernaum, out of Galilee, out of Israel, out of the church building, beyond the walls of this building, into the lives of our neighbors, into the community, and into the world. We want to attract watchers. But we ourselves must be more than that. Amen? Well, there's another subgroup in this crowd. A critical crowd. A critical crowd blocks the way. So I would say that there were some in that crowd that I would call blockers. Do you know who they might have been? Who were the blockers? The Pharisees. They were blockers. Jesus struggled with blockers throughout His ministry. Instead of rejoicing in the healing of a paralyzed man, this group was critical of Jesus. Do you think they were really concerned about whether that man was healed or not? No. They just had to get this guy stopped because he was a threat to their power and influence. And so they were there to say, you can't do that. They didn't care that someone was helped. They were just concerned that Jesus do things their way. These guys weren't there to support. They weren't even there merely to watch. They were there to criticize. You know, the apostle of Paul struggled with blockers too. They were called Judaizers. They were those who insisted that for Gentiles to become followers of Jesus, they had to follow Jewish customs. They had to follow Jewish customs about diet and circumcision and observance of Jewish feasts and holidays. And if they didn't do that, they couldn't become Christians. And Paul had to deal with that throughout his ministry. In fact, one time he had to confront Peter about that. You can read about that in Galatians chapter 2. And you know what? Unfortunately, there's still blockers today. Now, I'd like to think that they do it unintentionally. I'd like to think they, did, they don't intend to keep people from Jesus. But I think they do that nonetheless. It's interesting to me, and kind of amazing sometimes, that we talked about some of these things touched on some of these things in Sunday school class today and how God brings that all together. See, I think what happens is we quit caring. Lee, it's what you and I were talking about between Sunday school and church. We lose our passion and compassion for the lost. We forget that they are lost and that their destiny without Jesus Christ is hell. We don't like to talk about that. Our world likes to say, well, there is no such thing. But Jesus talked about it an awful lot. And it's true. It's the truth of Scripture. So we quit caring. We get comfortable. We say, well, I've punched my ticket. I'm good to go. I'm comfortable. And so we've lost our passion for the lost. So instead of being someone who moves people toward Jesus, unintentionally we become blockers. 
And then I think to take it a step further, there's the bad example blocker. You might know what I'm talking about. That person who claims to be a Christian but doesn't live that way. They are angry. They offend. They criticize. They reject. And instead of bringing to people, instead of bringing people to Jesus, they drive them away. They are blockers. God help us that we would not be that. And then there was a third subgroup in that crowd that day. See, a caring crowd carries others to Jesus. There were four guys that day that cared. These guys were the bringers. Remember I told you I'd come back. These were the bringers. That word is used in in Mark chapter 1 as well. It talks about these men brought this man to Jesus. It talks in Mark chapter 1 about those that were brought or, or some were bringing to Jesus. Those needed who, who were possessed by demons and, and needed healing for their bodies. So the, there were people who brought people to Jesus. They were bringers. That word, if you look in the Greek, means to be, to be carried or brought. And it can also mean to cause to come. So we would call those four men and those people in chapter 1 bringers. And the key here is compassion. We have, we have to have compassion for people. I mean, don't you think that that's what motivated these men to do what they did? They had a friend who was paralyzed. They couldn't stand the thought they would have to live this way. And they'd heard that Jesus could fix this kind of thing. So they had compassion for a friend and they brought him to Jesus. And their compassion drove them to do something kind of interesting and unusual. And maybe if you're the owner of the home, something you didn't like very much. They dug a hole in the roof because the crowd was so dense that they couldn't get this man into Jesus. And all those watchers had their place and they weren't willing to scoot over. So, they went up on the rooftop and they dug through the roof. Always kind of tried to... Have you tried to picture that scene in your mind? Jesus, I wonder, was stuff starting to fall down on his head? But Jesus knew what was going on. It's like, go ahead, dig away, guys. And, and doesn't it seem natural to us, it should seem natural to us, that they would bring this man to Jesus? The Scripture tells us that God is the Father of compassion. It originates with Him. So in bringing a friend to Jesus, those four brought him to the most compassionate person who ever lived. Right? Jesus is God. God is the author of compassion. If they brought 
their friend to Jesus, they were bringing their friend to the most compassionate person who ever lived. Margaret Mead said, Never believe that a few caring people can't change the world, for indeed, that's all who ever have. John Bunyan, You have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. And a gentleman named Steve Maraboli who wrote a book entitled Life, the Truth, and Being Free, he said a kind gesture can reach a wound that only compassion can heal. In December 1943, German ace pilot Hans Stigler had every reason to shoot down the American B-17 bomber in front of him. Have any of you read this book? Okay, so have I. Enemy forces had already killed his brother early in the war and were now bombing German cities. Not only that, if Stigler took down this particular bomber, he would round out his kill score and secure the German equivalent of the Medal of Honor. As he approached the, rear, the, the, the airplane from behind and prepared this, to squeeze the trigger, he thought it was strange that the bomber wasn't firing back at him. Going in for a closer look, he saw that the tail gunner was dead and most of the crew were wounded. In fact, he could see in through the door gunner's openings that they were tending to the wounded in there. The plane itself was riddled with bullets and struggling to stay aloft. In his heart, Stigler knew he would be killing men in cold blood. Instead, he opted to do the honorable thing. He signaled to the shocked American pilot and flew with the bomber to prevent it from being targeted by anti-aircraft fire. Stigler escorted the plane until they reached the North Sea where he broke off and saluted his adversaries one last time. It was not until five decades later that the American pilot, Charlie Brown, that was really his name, successfully tracked down the man who saved him. The two men became the best of friends, and as a show of thanks, Brown made Stigler the guest of honor at a reunion he had planned with his crewmen. They showed Stigler a video of their children and grandchildren, people who would not have lived were it not for his act of compassion. That's why those men brought that paralytic friend to Jesus. They had compassion. Another closely related meaning of the Greek uh, for brought is one who carries. And ab- that's absolutely what these men did. No, there are other places in the Bible where friends carried friends to Jesus because they could not come themselves. That's what happened in this story. And another meaning of the word brought is to cause to come. Think about that for a minute. To cause to come. Can we impact people's lives in such a way that it causes them to come? Now I know 
Ultimately, we don't do that. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But God uses us. And do they see something in, their, in, in our lives that is attractive to them? Something in our lives that says to them, I'd like to have that too? Something in their lives that when they see us in, life's more, in, in our lives, when they see us in life's most difficult moments, we act and react in ways that they're saying, how do you do that? Can we cause people to come? Another implication in this word brought is to bear the load. See, bringers are those who bear the load. We all have things to carry, burdens to bear in life. Thankfully, the church is people who have been instructed to bear one another's burdens. And not just within the church body. If we can develop relationships with folks enough to get through the shell, we can find out that they've got stuff in their lives that we can help bear. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's about encouragement. It's about trying to cheer someone up. It's about letting them know that there's hope beyond this thing that you're dealing with right now. There's an elderly widow who was very restricted in her activities, yet she was eager to serve Jesus. After praying about this for a while, she realized that she could bring blessing to others by playing the piano. The next day, she placed this small ad in the local paper. Pianists will play hymns by phone daily for those who are sick and despondent. The service is free. The notice included the phone number to dial. When people called, she would ask, what hymn would you like to hear? Within a few months, her playing had brought cheer to several hundred people. Many of them freely poured out their hearts to her. And she was able to help and encourage them. The whole community, it says, was changed. <laughs> Bring, brought, to bear up, to lift up, to encourage. To use what God has given you to encourage and help others. Julie and I had the privilege yesterday morning of um, being at the leadership prayer breakfast in Loveland, and the guest speaker this year was Tim Tebow. He told a pretty poignant story of someone bringing uh, someone to Jesus. He said he, they'd gone up to this village high on a mountaintop somewhere in a remote island in the Philippines because there's Thousands of islands in the Philippines. They had never had foreign guests in their village before. This was the event of the decade. And Tim was called upon to speak, and the village gathered around him. And, and as he was speaking, he saw two young men leave the group and disappear off in the distance. And this bothered him. He's like, this is the event of the decade. I mean, we're like... I don't know, celebrities here. And 
These two young men walked away. What's up with that? So when he was through speaking, he kind of went the direction he saw them go. And he was crossing an open field on which there was a small hut on the other side. And as he crossed the field, he saw one of these young men coming to him. And so the young man took him to this hut and he crawled through the door to this hut. And there was the other man, young man who had walked away and he was holding the hand of a friend who was lying on a mat who had been born with his feet facing the wrong direction. They were backwards. He had never walked in his life. And Tim, through conversation and as much as he could with these young men, found out that this man with this deformity had been rejected by his village. They felt that because of this, he he had a curse upon him. So, basically, he was not a member of the village. He had not been taken in. He wasn't part of the family, so to speak, except he had these two friends. And this young man was coming out of that hut to find Tim Tebow, to bring him there to see this young man. And Tim shared Jesus with them. And they accepted Christ. And as Tim left, he said something to the effect of, I'll see, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be back, but I'll see you in heaven someday. And the young man with the deformity said, and yes, we'll be able to run together. That young man's two friends wanted to bring him to Jesus. And it made a difference. You know, the church has never been a building. We meet in this structure we call the church. Peter's house wasn't the church. People coming to Jesus, that's the church. People bringing people to Jesus, that's the church. Jesus sent his disciples out with a mission to reach the unsaved and bring them to the cross and bring them to salvation. Oh, we need watchers, but we need to be more than that, don't we? And certainly, God forbid that we would ever be blockers. No, we don't want to be merely watchers. We don't want to be blockers. We want to be bringers. Amen? Pray with me. Father, thank you for this story of four men who were bringers in contrast to the vastness of that crowd that day that were primarily watchers and blockers. And Jesus, they cared enough. They had enough compassion and compassion for a friend in need that they were willing to do whatever it took to get him, Lord Jesus, to your feet where they knew you could make a forever difference in this man's life. Father, we need watchers. That's where it starts. Help us because of the way we live our lives 
to be able to, and, and, and the way we conduct ourselves and the ministry we do to be able to attract watchers. And Father, my prayer would be that none of us would ever be an intentional blocker, but if even unintentionally we are blockers today because we're comfortable, we're just comfortable. I know people here and it's, you know, I'm, I'm cared for here and I'm at ease with my friends and oh God forbid that we would become come to that place where we just we've lost our burden for a lost world. We no longer have compassion. We don't care enough anymore because hey, I've got what I need. Oh God forbid that we'd even be unintentional blockers. Oh but God like those four men, may we desire to be people who bring others to Jesus. Oh, I hope that we could stand someday, Jesus, before you, and you would say, oh, you brought to me, and there would just be a long list of names. Oh, God, that we would be bringers. That's our prayer. Help us to know what it means to do that. Kindle in our hearts a desire for obedience, a compassion for the lost, broken, and hurting. So that we will be people who know Jesus has the answers and we bring others to Jesus. And in all of that, Lord Jesus, may your name be honored and lifted up and glorified and exalted. Just want to take a few moments today while our heads are bowed. I don't know what God says to you in moments like this. I always trust that He speaks to our hearts through the messages that I bring. But I think we realize that as a church body, we've got some work to do. We need to be bringers. We need to have watchers in our church services. Watchers who will then become bringers at some point. And so, just in a few, these few moments, would you ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart? And if there's a fire that needs to be rekindled there, is there if there's compassion that's been lost and needs to be restored... If God needs to open the eyes of your heart and the eyes on your face to see a lost and broken world, people who are all around you, maybe every day. If you've maybe in unintentional ways been a blocker and God's revealed that to you today, oh, ask Him for His forgiveness and pray, Lord Jesus, make me a bringer, whatever it takes. Make me a bringer. Father, today I prayed earlier that we would go from this place changed today because we have met with you. 
I ask again that that would be true of us. Because we've been open and honest with you. And we've confessed maybe that we've been a blocker in some way. Or maybe we've just been so comfortable that we're just watching. I don't know. Oh, but Father, may we be determined in our hearts and through the help of your Holy Spirit as you work in and through us to be bringers, to bring people to Jesus. Watchers who will themselves become bringers. That's our desire. That's your desire. And may it be fulfilled in us, your church, the Longmont Church of the Nazarene. And Father, I ask things things today in the name of Jesus who can do it. Amen.